1: that we would uh, we don't get a chance very often to pick the brains of these two. So I thought we should open it up and um, let some other people say something or ask some questions. Yeah. Um, Brian, uh, Louder. Uh, Got to be real loud. Brian, I was uh, in the middle of a discussion. I suddenly, and you're talking about landscapes, and for some reason I thought of all those Yes album covers and, and Roger Dean. And I, I wonder if you can talk about your contemporaries and
0: and whether he in particular might have been one. Um well uh Roger I actually met years ago and 'cause he had, he set up this company, oh God, what was it called? Um because I did a book uh with him. Um yeah, Paper Tiger, uh which is one of my triumphs, which Thank is uh Master Snick cloak. Um and uh A few years ago, I sat with him next to him on a panel in uh, Comic-Con. And we were both, we looked at each other and both astonished to realize that we knew each other in, gosh, what, 1971, (laughs) and we just really felt ancient. (laughs) Um, He's a a great guy. but it um, and his work was just really fascinating. So uh, really organic and floating shapes and roots and rocks and, um, and but I I was not quite there yet when I was when I first know I was heading that that way and he, uh, gosh he was such a visionary I and mean, he still is I mean he still was kept you know he's developing all these pod houses and the what different way of a, living is uh, astonishing yeah thank you for making me feel so old
1: 71 <laughs> <laughs> the Beatles were still in their 50s then right <laughs>
2: <laughs> well um, you know I'm, I'm really curious about uh, craft I'm curious about your habits um, studio habits things like that mm. to kind of keep yourselves fresh
1: mm-hmm. um, so that you know I mean uh, you know you've been working for a while but continually, you know, it's clear that you still draw a lot of joy from there. So I'm curious to to hear about what you guys do to
2: kind of keep yourselves going. You know, it's really interesting. I'll I'll start with the, Ryan if you like. Um, Because we both work from home and because we work for ourselves, we have to impose a discipline on ourselves. If we didn't do that, we'd be lost. So we both try to start working, you know, basically around 9 o'clock every morning. Uh, But also, and then we work, stop for lunch, work again until five, probably. But because we do work at home, um, we tend to work on the weekends as well. So it is a problem. We don't give ourselves a lot of time off. Then we feel guilty sometimes when we take time off. But other times, we just both look at each other and go, let's go shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just go and do something else. So we do. Shopping in Dartmoor? No, we have yeah. to leave Dartmoor to go shopping, which is even more exciting. <laughs> so we have to actually go in amongst other people and interact with people and do things. Yeah. So we do, though. It's a, it's a, it's a mixture of both. Um, we both can work really intensely, and we can work for a few days. We both actually work quite quickly. So we can oh. work in... You do. Oh, don't you tell me that. We work very, <laughs> very intensely for a few days, and then we both kind of you know, have this burnout. So we, we'll have to go off and do something else for a day and yeah. then come back we can come back
0: to it yeah Wendy's always complaining say so I can't do it anymore and I say well take some time off no I can't I can't really even afford to take time off just take some time off and so usually if I say you know go off and do something you go off for a day and immediately the next day you're working because I okay. just I
2: despair sometimes and I think I don't want to do this anymore yeah. I'm never going to work again I'll go and work in the hardware store I don't care I'm not going to work any, I can't do this and as soon as I say that and articulate it and then maybe go off and see something else for a day, I come back and I immediately want to start working again. It's never, I've never come to the point where I've spent more than a day or so not wanting to work.
0: For me, exciting. Yeah. Right. For me, it's a nightmare. I hate working. Ah. I really can't stand it. It's, um, and it's very hard to like, explain what I mean by that is because I'm in the middle. Uh, it's like a n- literally like a nightmare because I'm doing things that are unresolved. Nothing is resolved. It, you know, the shapes are not working, the lines are not working, nothing's like, making any sense so yet. So the air is blue coming out of the studio what sometimes. it's, it's meant to look odd. like really? and all that. And so I'm in the middle of a disaster. So it's, it's actually very difficult even to articulate that. I mean, everybody say, well, how's it going? There's well, no, mostly if, no, if it's in the middle
2: of it, it's like, oh, God! There's no middle ground.
0: Terrible. You can't be polite about it. <laughs> you have to just despair. And, then, and the other thing is that I have no sense of when it's going, the, when the pitch is going to finish. Um, I never know. I always say, I think I've got, you know, t- in my head, I think, oh, God, I've maybe got like six days to go, and then suddenly two hours later it's done.
2: And then he'll come up to my studio and say, do you um, feel like maybe going out somewhere? Brian, did you finish something? Think, yeah, well, just have a,
0: yeah. Because uh, having a drink doesn't like count because I'm always having a drink. So I think, uh, <laughs> but but it's but it's that. I always say that that one of the major things about uh, painting a picture is that the most creative act you can do is to know when to finish, mm. literally know when to stop. And it's about balance, because it's never going to be right. There's no rightness to about it. It's just, it only has to be itself. And so there's a moment, if you catch it, where if you put another single mark on it, it's out of balance, and I have to spend days and days bringing it back. And so you've got to stop at that one moment.
1: Well, you do talk about some artists overpainting, where they take all the...
0: Yeah, I was, I was just thinking of that when we were having a, a, a break here, which is, I think it's really quite important, um, especially with fantasy art and genre art. Everybody is wildly talented. They are extraordinarily talented. I look at, it, look at them and despair of what I do. But what I feel personally is they go really, really wrong, is they over-render. It's, so it's all about trying to make it super real, makes it realer. It doesn't. It makes it less real. Uh-huh. And so what I try to do is to keep what I do, uh, paintings open, literally open. Um, so the, the, in its uh, finishing, I mean, in its uh, painting, there's a roughness to it. There is um, bits that are missing. And it means that when you, when you look at it, look at it when the viewer looks at it they have to add something to it they have to add something to complete it (coughs) and now now it means that the painting has another energy involved in it Um, it means every time you look at it it's going to feel different because you're feeling different so it keeps moving through life it keeps moving on it's never finished which makes it vibrant and in the world
2: I just wanted to say an, an interesting thing for us uh, was that when we, when we flew over here from London the beginning of this week, I think. On an um, airplane. Right? On an airplane. No, no, <laughs> we just flew. It was amazing. <laughs> Took about the same amount of time, though. Um, <laughs> we, we landed in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, we, we spent the day at the Chicago Art Institute, uh, which has an amazing collection, uh, just a stunning collection of art. And we, I, growing up in Detroit, I'd never been there. Which is, I know, shame on me, but, um, and Brian had. Chicago. I said growing up in Detroit, I'd never been to the Chicago Chicago, artists. Mm -hmm. Different city. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we went there, and one of the interesting things was that so many of the paintings that um, are very familiar um, from very, very old, like 14th century pieces, 15th century on up to 19th to 20th century, um, one of the most beautiful things about it, many of them was the, the looseness of the painting and the, the, the quality of the, the, the space in between oh. the brush strokes, oh. things that you don't expect. Because when you see them in reproduction, they amalgamate into this little, tight, little, wonderful thing that you, oh, that's you are, you know, you, you're, you, you don't really expect that's what it is, and it isn't. They have a life and a breath to them, which you don't experience unless you're there in front mm. of them. Great. Wonderful. Interesting. Were you
1: influenced by like Constable and the, you know, Turner, the British mm. pantheon?
0: Not necessarily. I mean, I actually, I did, I did discover one of my old art books when I was young, and, and, and the pages are just falling out of it. When I look at it now, and it's literally this size, and i thought oh, it looks so small but when i was reading it when i was young it was so big because it was opening up a world for me and it's all full of little tiny pictures in black and white and maybe the old <laughs> color you know so you don't have any sense um i was uh actually i was working um at skywalker ranch and sitting in, and there they it's a astonishingly really beautiful building and it has a fantastic library and i was Going through the art books, and I came about across a book uh, about Gainsborough, and it was a revelation to uh, to, to read it because he painted pictures um, that were meant to be experienced by candlelight, uh, uh, and he had like a special room with curtains and drapes and things that allowed light in at certain angles, and you would see it. and He painted in a very l- loose way. Wow. And they're very—it's—they're very rough. You know, when you go and look at look at a painting, in, in the museum, you go, "Oh, I get it now," mm, because we see it, it in it. a mo- literally, literally yeah. in a modern light. You know, it, so, um, but he painted, and, and he also did like lots of little light light boxes, um, things where they had with candles behind, and he painted uh, with translucencies. And so, people mm. in his day were struggling towards something that we now take for granted, which is. Um, you know television, and you know the, how light is part as part of the importance of, of 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 image.
2: It was interesting, though, in the museum. Just um, that in uh, in a lot of the rooms, the lights changed, and at oh. first we thought maybe you know we were going blind or something, but we weren't. The lights dimmed and they changed so that you could see the paintings in different lights, and that was oh. fascinating. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I'm assuming unless they were having a lot of trouble with their electricity, but it was it was it was really interesting to see that.
0: So I mean, right now, I've always felt my paintings would make. I would paint my paintings very flat. They're deliberately flat because they're really like a map that's, that you travel th- across it, and you don't travel in in depth. Um, but I always felt it would make a good tapestry. I think, and in, in, in particular, they make fantastic. Um, uh, Stained glass windows. And right now, though we, you know, we haven't quite seen it all in its full glory, um, on an iPad we've got uh, iPhone. apps. Uh, well iphone. Well, iPhone, but it will get onto an mm. iPad. Is, um for, for the heart of fairy apps. And there's something about light that comes through the images, uh, which you get with a glowing screen that really seems to express Quite profoundly, the nature of what we, mm. what we both do which is which is that inner light,
2: but it's also interesting for us because we live in a house that is <laughs> late medieval, so it was the second story of it, the second floor was put on in sixteen ninety, and the rest of the house is older than that, and the foundations At are older than that, and there was probably a house on that site before that, mm-hmm. so it's it's old, and it's dark, and it's it's like a hobbit house. It's kind of halfway into the earth on one side, and it's thatched, and the granite walls are three feet thick. So we live in semi-darkness most of the time, so that's how we see our work. <laughs> yes, right. And it's always... Well, that's the trick. All right. Yeah. You know, it's, it it's, it's always kind Would of incredible of when we see it out, because, you know, right? it goes out to museums, yeah, it goes out to galleries, yeah, and you walk do. into a, a gallery space where it's light, you go, oh my God. This is what it looks like. Because at home, it's just it's all kind of yeah. that, that um, there's a cozy darkness with a lot of cobwebs.
0: <laughs> 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 all right. <laughs> Comments, please.
2: Brian, a few years back, you did illustrations for both uh, Charles Dillon and for Patricia McKillop, two of their books. Uh, would you ever do anything like that again? And if so,
0: who would you really like to work with? Oh. Uh, Actually, really good question. Um, I actually, I can't say, well, I'd really like to work with Wendy is really what I would like, who, is who I'd really like to work with. This is because um, Brian
2: doesn't read fiction.
0: <laughs> I don't read fiction. But um, it was, it was, it was such an exciting project to be involved with. And I can't remember where we were. It wasn't Arizona. I was over some convention. Mm. Where, uh, because Terry
2: Windling was a major part of yeah. that and hers was one of the <laughs> books that didn't get published in the series but then uh, really talks about Brian's work But I remember The sitting, Woodwife yeah I
0: remember sitting on the floor which books are, are they? Um, it's um,
2: oh I'm 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 sorry we're not going to uh, remember the names Do you? it's, it's Charles DeLint's book
0: The Wildwood the the Wild Wildwood Wood,
2: yes and Patricia McKillop's Something
0: Rich and Strange yes yeah. and so um, I remember sitting on the floor with them and I just brought a load of art and we just laid it out on the ground. And they just sort of just chose stuff. <laughs> and and it was a really fascinating way to work is that uh, they then thought I was gonna dictate what their story was. I said, no, I want you to, in, in particular, Patricia McKillop was such a sweetheart. She's such a wonderful woman. <laughs> you know, was very nervous about it and she did like probably one of the best, I think. I mean, it was just like, it was great, um, is, is, is that I said, I want you to run with the ideas, just run with what it might suggest to you. And so it was put together in, because it was going to be a series of four. Mm-hmm. And um, immediately the first two were published and they were, I don't know, they were like $22, $22.95 Something like that, and they were already selling at forty dollars because people couldn't buy them fast enough, and the publisher cancelled the series. and It's one of those publishers are a strange <laughs> group of people. And they they have no logic to their <laughs> thinking at all. You know why would you cancel something that was just being so successful? But so then they eventually um, the art. Oh, Terry's was published. Ter- but, 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 they but without your cover. Without the cover. And without the and art in it. Without is the art. Which unfortunate. So it all, yeah. Because, yeah. Um. Would you ever mm. consider talking to Tor or someone
2: to, to actually publish the book as as it was? Oh, oh, Terry's book? I don't know. Yeah. Um. I, mean, I, I mean, yeah. I love the book and I think it would Oh, it would the woodwork mm. is beautiful. Mm. Mm. Yes. Our Sherry, we live, we yeah. <laughs> Terry yeah. lives in Chagford with us, so yes. we, we know her very well, um, I, so possibly. So I,
0: they were pulling from drawings you had already done. Yes, okay. but I did them specifically to be um, in, in every, in every uh, suggestive, I mean to suggest ideas. So I, I, um, they weren't just left over for something, it was specifically for the project, yeah. Well,
2: yes. Um, it sounds like um, when you talk about spirit and everything, do you also do like meditations? or? Oh, yes. And do, when you do your work, does it take you into an altered meditative state when you're actually working? You know, yes. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I think especially when I'm doing the sculpting part of it. Um, but it's interesting because I I do meditations sometimes before I work. I certainly, when I teach workshops, I always start with uh, a guided meditation, a visualisation for people, because I think that it's really important for people to be in touch with their own creativity, their own imagination. That's a good way to get them started. But we were working with a meditation teacher, Jessica Macbeth, who wrote the Fairies Oracle, the first one, with Brian. Uh, And I know. We did an experiment where we put on an as like alpha mm. wave machine. It's a machine where you, you you know clamp something onto your finger, and it turns out that when Brian was drawing, the the brainwaves that were coming through were meditative brainwaves. So it was the same as meditating when he drew. The brainwaves so came through his finger. They came through his that's I, that's was, that's kind of finger. That's why. That's why. Which finger? Yeah, that's that's why. That's why I keep my brain. It was one of the ones where he wasn't. He wasn't <laughs> holding a pencil. I'm with. very polite. So I, mine's
0: in this one. <laughs> but uh, but
1: uh, you need start the conversation off by saying
0: that you do think through your hands, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. We keep your brain. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, really. Yeah. Well, actually, when, you know, when things go terribly wrong when I'm painting, it's <laughs> because I'm stepping in the way because I've made preconceived <laughs> ideas. The, mo- the, the most common preconceived idea that it has to be wonderful, you know, and that's always right. disastrous, right. Uh, always. <laughs> and so well, as soon as I get let go of that, it gets a bit better. But even so, I'm still <laughs> trying to control it. And that's mm. horrible what i need to do is to bring all my skills to to bear on on the particular problem all the things i've learned as a as a painter even then i have to let go of those once i can let go and allow whatever it is that needs to come through to come through you got to step out of the way and just allow it to happen you know and then you look at it and go oh i don't know you know, but then, but at least if you done your best? That's all right. But so, in a, in a sense, <clears throat> it ends up akin to being in that meditative state. I think so. Because you're not. Yeah. Yeah. You're just letting it happen.
1: But one thing you said, you
0: were talking about painting,
1: and mm. you never know how far you are from the end, mm. and and the trick is to figure out when it's finished. The, uh, I think there is a a different process as a writer. Mm. I feel like. Uh, it's heavy lifting mm. and agonizing, and everything. Till you get about two thirds or three fourths of the way mm. through, then it gets easy because then you're finishing, and you and it actually gets to to a spot where you're just um, ah. editing. Basically. Right. right. Now, but is there a spot in painting like that? No. I didn't think so. No, it's not. <laughs> However, there
0: is in, in books. Um, I'm, i for years now. I've been working on books that are um, complex. tell the story through images and words uh, and then in the arrangements and and what it looks like is in the book and that involves working for me with Photoshop or working with uh, designers and that's really important um, um, how that's arranged And, and so the biggest problem is ever dealing with publishers and, when, and saying, I need to do this book, and, you, and they want to know what it is. Now I say to them, well, do you, want me, I, do you want me to lie to you? And now they look at you in a very askance and sh- strange. I wonder mean. why that is. Yeah, <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. So I, I try to explain, well, I really, really don't know. And now they're really <laughs> concerned and worried because they think <laughs> there's no book. But, and they certainly but, don't want to pay but, you for but anything. The, <laughs> the problem is in publishing, Nobody, tr- there are no relationships anymore because the publishers like disappear, or especially the people you deal with, the publishers, if they last the end of the week, <laughs> you're lucky. <laughs> it's like just no relationship you can have with, the, with these people, and they certainly don't trust you. And it's, it's it has to be about trust that you, as a creative person, you are going to get to the end, and it's going to be meaningful. So there's a there's a once you can get them, and you have to lie like crazy about what the book is, now to get get it published. But now immediately you have to change it because once you start, and it, you struggle, you struggle, you try to make, create some form to it, you try to give it some meaning, give it some it's a direction and it w- doesn't work, doesn't work. And then suddenly something kicks in and then what's kicking in is the book itself. The book itself goes, hello, right. here I am. And now all, your duty is just to listen. Right. So oddly enough, it gets, what you're saying, easier and easier as you go get near the end because you can't make any decisions that doesn't fit right. in to the way the you're book wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then it becomes mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. But to get the publisher to support you to that point is... But
2: tough. if there's anyone here from Abrams, it's okay. It's not easy. They're great. You're wonderful. great. You're wonderful.
1: <laughs> that's, that's my theory that art is partly freedom, but a lot constraint. Yeah, yeah constraint I, we
0: means. just said earlier I love yeah. constraint. Yeah. I mean, so I'm working on a... Well, I hope we're getting near the end. It's been going on forever, uh, which is a book called How to See Fairies, uh, which has... Um, novelties in it, we, we, we mean like some fold-outs and some lenticular work and all that. And so struggling to getting that into shape is being problematic, and so, we're, um, and that's, yeah, going on. Yes, please. I will tell you why you're the live of the publishers.
1: Can you hear me, Yes, we can hear you. Mm. Uh, Smart. I just had a yeah. conversation It used to be that an editor could buy a book. So if mm-hmm. the editor trusted you, you would say, I want to I want to sell you this book, and mm. you'd say, fine. Mm. You know. Now, every month there's a meeting with the sales department. Yes. And the editor has to justify having bought your book, which he hasn't seen yet, uh. in the sales department. Yeah. So you have to be able to lie to him convincingly enough so that he can lie to them uh.
2: convincingly yes.
1: enough so that they'll shut up and leave both him and you alone until the book is in.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, that's very true. Yes, please. Um,
1: I apologize. I don't think this is going to be a very well said. I notice there seems to be kind of an evolution in your work, Brian, from the stuff that you did in the early days, where it was really based on the mythology, and you had that the fairies were neither good nor bad. They're, they're really mischievous, which I like. And the stuff that you're working on now, which seems a lot more elemental, uh-huh. um, a lot more kind of nebulous sort of thing. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about that. And then the other part of it, um, to bring you and Wendy, is do you guys sort of, it seems like you sort of work in the same shared universe, and that your fairies are, are very similar, but you were saying that your fairies are all very benevolent, which is not my understanding of fairies, except that now it sort of is, because yours are sort of elemental and far more positive than back in the mythology, so if you guys <gasps> maybe
2: mm. talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean, no, I think benevolent, yes, but but... Basically mostly just not evil. What we do is we don't do e- we don't do evil. But you give them power. We give them power. It's like Google, right? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but um. You know
1: want, they were evil ones. I mean they're all about people
2: and you know. Oh yeah, but I don't particularly I don't choose to create those. I don't choose to bring those out. You know. I don't make any I don't make evil right, dolls. That. I don't But I'll uh, I'll certainly make uh, you know trickster dolls and dolls that have, have different kinds of energies, not all good and fluffy but it all has some sort of healing element to it mm.
0: yeah, but it healing isn't always an I easy thing well, uh, yes yeah, so I mean I based, I mean, the original book was based on folklore and then having done the two films I wanted to come back to it But it, and as like years have gone past <laughs> when I, even before um, I'd started the paint the fairies book, I, I was fascinated by the reality behind fairies, you know, and read about Findhorn, and then got involved looking at books uh, of people that talked about real fairies and sightings, and Geoffrey Hodson. In fact, we wrote to Geoffrey Hodson, um, uh, who wrote this one, a couple of really seminal books about sightings of real fairies. And he was living in, uh, I believe, uh, New Zealand at the time. We got a letter back from his secretary saying well, he was a bit frail now, but he appreciated that we were doing something. But so already was behind this was this move towards the the deeper spiritual aspects of it. So having done the, the original Fairies book, which was just about fo- folklore, I tried to do something which was good fairies, bad fairies, which was much more personal, um, there was a time when I was, cause up to then, every painting I did was sort of brown. It was, it was easy, it was either brown or green. <laughs> so I didn't <laughs> have to buy too much paint, basically. <laughs> and I did it a lot of in, in gouache, and it was like I could just like almost work from one, one side of the page and work across, and it was done. And then suddenly I couldn't do it. It was the most scary moment of my life when I just had lost the ability to do it. So I had to start the painting acrylics Um, because I was feeling, and it turned out because I was feeling my way around it, and I was feeling to another color palette. So more blues were coming in, all that. It's because I was going down to a sort of a deeper level of the images, Um, and they were more abstract, they were more of the spirit of these things and more personal, I suppose. Um, And then um, because, there is a resistance to the very word fairy, and I wasn't getting any publisher um, to pay attention. That's when uh, I was lucky enough to discover Lady Cottington and the press fairies. And then so suddenly people were pay, paying attention to fairies, um, but they still weren't convinced. Uh, uh, once I said, I'm going to do a book about bad fairies. Um, they were everybody's eyes lit up. Just <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then, so I got I got the gig. But well, then I once I got the gig I thought, well actually it's not really what I want to do as bad fairies, you know. So I had to hedge my bets a bit. And of course when when I finished they were very disappointed there weren't enough bad fairies in it. You know, well couldn't you do the like the deaf fairies? And I said, Well, actually death is quite you know, it's okay, it's a transition. To, Somewhere else you <laughs> can't really just call that a really bad fairy, so I uh, put in a couple actually the worst fairy for me, and that was the sh- thing the Soul shrinker um was uh, that scared me the most i think um but but it's but it's about reempowering the fairies about what's um what is good or bad or what are the things that um uh um more difficult in in terms of fairies, so. But I, um, I I work towards it, but it's not my, it's so easy to do ugly. And when I go to conventions and I look at the art and it's a sort of like violence and sex and ugliness, it's it's horrifying, I go, why are you (coughs) doing that? Because you're not bringing much to the world here but if you have uh, images and faces that are challenging, that's different when they're powerful. Um, that's what I try to do. Is that in any way answer the question? It yeah. does indeed, easy yeah.
1: to do ugly. It is, <laughs> so easy. <laughs> these guys Gosh. have, uh, these guys are troopers. This has <laughs> is, is, uh, been very interesting. We should, uh, they're gonna sign books. We'll all have another drink. Hang out. Thank you all for coming. Get on our website. Come see us. Thank you.